Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you all for being here. Mr. Amaday, I think you got a little aggravated trying to answer Senator Hawley's question about something you may create that you think of as an ethical use. But let me tell you why this bothers us, the unethical use. Senator Blumenthal have worked, and I have worked together for nearly four years on looking at social media and the harms that have happened to our nation's youth. And uh, hopefully this week, our Kids Online Safety Act comes out of committee. It wasn't intended. Social media wasn't intended. The intent was not to harm children, yep. cause mental health crisis, put children in touch with drug dealers and pedophiles. But we have heard story after story and have uncovered instance after instance where the technology was used in a way that nobody ever thought it was. And now we're trying to clean it up because we've not put the right guardrails in place. So as we look at AI, the guardrails are very important. And Professor Russell, I want to come to you because the U.S. is behind the, we're, we're really behind our colleagues in the EU, the UK, um, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, when it comes to online consumer privacy and having a way for consumers to protect that name, image, voice, having a way for them to protect their data, their writings, so that AI is not trained on their data. So talk for just a minute about how we keep our position as a global leader in generative AI and at the same time protect consumer privacy? Would a federal privacy standard help? What are your recommendations there? Uh, I, I think there needs to be absolutely a requirement uh, to disclose if the system is uh, harvesting the data from individual conversations. Um, and my guess is that immediately people would stop using a system that says, I am taking your conversation, uh, I am folding it into the next version of the model, and anyone in the country can basically listen in on this conversation because they're going to be asking questions Let about what I did. Let Do yeah. you think the industry is mature enough to self-regulate? No. No industry is. Uh, so therefore, no. it is going to be necessary for us to mandate uh, a structure? Yes. I think okay. um, there is certainly uh, a change of heart at OpenAI. Initially, they were uh, harvesting the data produced by individual conversations. Uh, and then more recently, they said, we're going to stop doing that. Uh, and, and clearly, if, if you're in a company, and even, even not considering personal conversation, but just in a company and you want the system to help you with some internal operation, you're going to be divulging company proprietary information to the chatbot uh, to get it to give you the answers you want. Uh, and if that information is then available to your competitors, yeah. Uh, by simply asking ChatGPT uh, what's going on over in that company, this would, this would be terrible. Um, so, uh, so having a clear definition of what it is, uh, there's a technical term, oblivious, right, which basically says whatever we talk about, I am going to forget completely, right? Mm -hmm. That's a guarantee that systems should offer. I actually believe that browsers uh, and any other yeah. uh, device that interacts with individuals should offer that as a as a formal guarantee. Uh, let me also make the point about... Uh, yeah, and I would, I would extend that even further that when, you know, there's a lot of um, concern when big companies started to move their data into the cloud. There was the big concern of like, is my data really protected and all this other stuff. And it's also because of bifurcation efforts that could happen where if I store all my stuff in Microsoft Azure Cloud or Google or whatever, then who else has access to that data? beyond the users that I set on the front end. And the bigger concern is not so much that like my, you know, like if I'm ConocoPhillips that, that, that BP oil has access to it. No, I get concerned that it's Google looking in. And then, so if I'm in, if I'm a young AI startup and I am using Google 
or Amazon or Dropbox to host all of my internal information and our plans and everything else. You're going to steal it right before it comes out. Right. How, how, could, how could you, you have access to the keys. You're the database. So how could you not like dip in with a search and just be like, oh, how many Google workspaces out there are dealing with AI shit? Oh, that one looks interesting. Sift, sift, sift. And then all of a sudden they turn around and go, hey, we just had a brilliant idea out of nowhere. See, so the, 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 the 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 loose lips that sink ships is not a to b or a b to b companies battling each other on the espionage side the loose lips is the platform company that hosts your data mm-hmm. peering in and then making that data available to other people that's what facebook got in trouble for is sharing demographic information on people because they have the data to other people mm-hmm. it wasn't you know, the Washington Post versus Snapchat or something like so that. So going back to what he's saying right now, I think it's interesting because I do believe that things that you put in your search and all these things should be private. I just think that it needs to be a better way to regulate accounts for children. Um, I don't think sure. that those should necessarily be private. I think there should be a record. If your account is interacting with a child's account, yes. that that can't just be a black box yeah. that that I think that's where it comes in. You know, if you can get the parents to set this stuff up and of course there's going to be things that always fall through the crack, no matter what, like the best intentions, kids will go around that. But, yeah. but I think that if it's, I think that would save a lot of uh, the grief if adults themselves can kind of, you know, if you're interacting with other adults, cool. But if you interact with a child's account, yeah, there is. That is not. That is a hundred percent recorded. And, and the parents can have access because yes. there's going to be a parent account associated with that child's account. And so, yeah. And you know, whatever, if yeah, this child's so account maybe has to have some sort of like maybe some sort of AI oversight to make the sure. Problem that is, yeah, like and the problem the problem is kids are going to kid. And I've been following the so what um what what Blackwell, I think her name is. Uh, anyways, um, Blackburn. Blackburn. What Blackburn was talking about is. Um, chat, uh, not chat, GPT, Snapchat and Instagram. Yeah. And the problem is a lot of these use cases where kids have kind of gone off the deep end, you can't even point back to the parents and say, well, you guys should have been paying more attention because the problem is these kids are essentially using workarounds. They're finding alternate devices. Like they're getting, there's a, there's a tablet that they bought on the side or through their friend. And it is not a parental control tablet that their parents aren't even aware of. And it looks just like the one that they have at home. I mean, how would you know? I mean, I I agree that that, that's what I was saying, that there's going to be fallout and there's going to be kids that get missed because they are actively seeking to take off the safety measures. And you're never going to be able to protect every kid from actively seeking to take off those safety measures. Right. You know, uh, but but the but at the, the, at the, the mechanism, very least, the mechanism needs to exist. Right. The, at the very least, if your kid isn't out there having somebody sell them a cell phone or a, a yep. tablet on the side, and you put in the parental controls, and that is marked as a child's account, then that that stuff shouldn't be as private. Yep. At least not to the parents and and whatever. So that stuff, and and then it should keep that those interactions so that adult can be held accountable if there's yep. there's in, in non good. Which is a side note. So one of the podcasts I was listening to that was talking about the Snapchat thing and stuff like that. Um, the person being interviewed was a uh, one of the top litigation lawyers on the protection side of it for the child's safety for social media. I forget what the, the buzz phrase is. And she had a pretty good recommendation that I would love to echo here. Um, she said, if you worried about your kids um, Instagram feeds or their TikTok feeds going into a dark place or whatever. She goes, instead of instead of taking away your kids' access to it, which uh, researchers have found is actually problematic, there's kids that are committing suicide because when they lose their phone, they feel like that is their connection to the entire rest of the universe. Right. She goes, all you have to do is this. Just watch their feed. Just right. ask them to watch their feed for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And in five minutes of watching their live feed or their, their recommended feed, You'll, see You'll get a sense of exactly how the algorithm is positioning content to them. Mm-hmm. And if you just see dumb shit about Barbie, the new Barbie movie and cats and kittens or whatever the hell, then you know that your kid is not doing anything crazy on that account because the algorithm is not tuned to that. Right. But if you start seeing suicide videos and anorexia, p- boasting comedy, and you, you need to be working out all the time and don't eat this and don't eat that, then you know. You don't even have to bust your kids on the search. Right. You know that your kids are doing things that are 
problematic and you should have a conversation with them because the algorithm has aligned themselves to them. I think that if you looked at my feed right now, you'd think that I was obsessed with dogs. I do, I do <laughs> like dog videos, <laughs> the cute dog videos. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, and I, that's good advice, right? So it bears yeah. echoing here to like the 23 people that listen to this, but it's still, <laughs> it's still, you know, that's a good spread. So the next time you're someone, you're like, man, I don't know what to do with my kids and the social media, just watch their feed. Watch yep. the feed for five minutes and it'll tell you exactly where your kid's headspace is, yep. assuming you're looking at the correct device. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't, you cannot. You cannot plan for all contingencies, unfortunately. Like, that is life. I would also know? recommend some kind of, like, an asset system. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, before you kid your, give your kid a tablet, like, get the tablet's ID. You know what I mean? There's. I, I wish more parents were tech-savvy because if we had children in our household, it would be super simple. You can walk in with any damn device you want, but guess what? On my firewall, your MAC address locked. Mm -hmm. you, I don't care. You can walk in with the exact same tablet with the exact same specs and you can have a fake label on it that says Joey's tablet. I don't care. It's not going to get on the damn internet right. <laughs> because my firewall is going to lock down to the one device that I handed you that was the allowed system. Right. And yep. if all parents did that, suddenly kids aren't trading awful things because everybody's households are exactly. locked down. Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah it's a, and it needs to be a community effort to keep that stuff out. But yeah, I mean... It's a sad, it's sad but true, but kid, but parents, you have to be, you have to be, you have to treat your children as a cyber, a cyber threat <laughs> inside of your own household. I mean, it's just. The, the thing is, is that they're just, you know, there are models that are being trained and they're being trained way more technical, yeah. way earlier than you ever were. You know, exactly. we just, we didn't have the option to be trained technical yep. at that age. So you have to get ahead of the curve and learn how to like lock your stuff down so yeah. you can. Yeah, so here, there you go. I'll do a free video on how you can solve uh, social media woes uh, if you're concerned about your kids subverting your efforts with alternate devices. Uh, if that's something everybody's interested in, I'll do like a two-minute video on how you can solve I that today. I think that's today. just a public service and throw that out on <laughs> YouTube. Day. I'm telling you, it's a, that's a public service. Put yeah. that out on the internet. <laughs> All right, Mr. Russell. Enforcement, uh, which I think uh, Senator Hawley mentioned uh, at the beginning, a right of action. But... For example, we have a federal do not call list. Oh. So as I understand it, it's a federal crime for a company to do robocalls to people who are on the federal do not call list. There you go. My estimate is that there are hundreds of billions or possibly a trillion federal crimes happening every year. <laughs> yes, so uh, and we're not really enforcing anything. Like, the existing law is not sufficient for AI. Correct. And, okay. and existing. All right. Uh, He's missing his yes, point. Let me move yeah. on. In Tennessee. Let me move AI, on because I want my robo dialer to say vote for Ms. Blackburn. Our industry uses so many AI applications. Know, you know, that's and the only one I we get. followed this messages. issue for quite oh, a so quite a period of time, um, because of the auto industry, because of the healthcare industry, and the healthcare technology industry that is headquartered in Nashville. And of course, predictive diagnosis, disease analysis, research, pharmaceutical research benefits tremendously from AI. And then you look at the entertainment industry and the voice and playing. Porn. And you look at what our entertainers, our songwriters, our artists, our authors, our publishers, uh -oh. our TV actors, our TV producers, are facing with AI, and to them, it is a, an absolute way that they're robbing them of their ability to make a living off of their creative work. Again, so be careful what you wish for. Our creative community has a different... We won't belabor that point, but that's the be careful what you wish for concept, right? And actually, there's right. instead of re-explaining it, this there's a recent episode of Black Mirror. I think it's Black Mirror, right? That has the... Yeah. The Selma Hayek and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. going into the uh, where it's like so and so is awful. Jane's awful. Jane is awful. Love Watch that. the Jane is awful episode, and the, the this idea of be careful what you wish for is is um, basically personified by that, because the premise of that is that the show that the the fake show that is being created is the premise of that episode. It wouldn't be successful if it wasn't so popular. 
Right. And so that's the thing that you have to be careful about is as soon as you start to segregate and say, well, no, 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 AI has to do everything in a vacuum and blah, blah, blah. Careful if it starts to make something that's better than what you got. Well, I also just, I, I have such mixed feelings on the, the art and industry and entertainment piece of this because there's places where I think that, you know, and I don't see it really being a problem. You know, the farrier, there's still some around, right? But like be replaced. Well, it, you know, yeah. there's some replacement that's going to happen and some jobs are going to go away. And we've talked about that. Logo makers. You yeah, know. we've talked about that. Yeah. And, you know, and in the movie industry, right, like CGI upset the um, practical effect people. Right. Rightfully so. Totally understand that. These handcrafted zombies and things like that. Now I can just fill an entire room with zombies at a click of a button. However, the not the 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 read the 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 circle back on that ends up being walking dead is the best zombie show by anybody's stretch of the imagination that ever that or the, at least the most successful one right yeah and part of that was specifically because they brought back creature effects practical effects they were still they CGI. Combine, yeah they combined them but it was on the you know it was just to avoid like having to have stunt doubles because you can't put a crowbar through somebody's head well, but that's why it was so successful. It's, so it's the partnering aspect that we've exactly. talked about so many times. You got to partner with the AI and make your stuff right. better. If you can. It, exactly. If you can use it as a force multiplier, it's just like we've said, right? Human on its own, probably not as good as AI on its own. Human plus AI trumps AI. Right. Yep. Easy. Issues. Martina McBride, who is no stranger to country music went into Spotify and the playlists are a big thing, uh, building your own playlist. So she was going to build a country music playlist out of Spotify. She had to refresh that 13 times before a song by a female artist came up. 13 times. What does that have to do with the price so of in China? Algorithms? Our bias? Of AI to shape what people are hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And in Nashville, we like to say you can go on Lower Broad, you can go to the one of the honky-tonks, your band can have a great night, you can be discovered in YouTube, could end up with a record deal. But if you've got these algorithmically uh, AI-generated playlists that cut out new artists or females or uh, certain sounds, then you are limiting someone's potential. Just as I would actually, I would actually disagree with that statement. I mean, I agree that algorithms are out there and they have biases, a hundred percent. But aren't they supposed to be based on your biases? Yeah, but like, but if I'm a, but if I'm an, if I'm an, if I'm interacting with ChatGPT and I say li list twenty five country music songs, it's literally going to be doing that at random. It's not, in other words, ChatGPT doesn't know to do an internal stack rank based and say exclude females or whatever the hell. And it's certainly not interviewing Spotify for the top list. If it just goes out and is just doing a general search for country music singers, it's just as likely to recommend Dolly Parton and, and Reba McIntyre as it is Garth Brooks and whatever because it doesn't, it doesn't even understand what the bias would be, right? So, so if it was liable for that, then that is something you can 100% hold accountable back to OpenAI because that means that they had wow. to artificially tune in weights that then said promote male artists more than female artists. Well, it, you'd have to do that. Well, and again, we don't know that they aren't because it's a black box. You know what I mean? I mean, they. You. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that it needs to be open to say if if, if that's happening. You know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like so far, what I've found is, if anything, like if I ask a generalized question to a, a generalized intelligence instead of going to a specific application which has its own different set of kpis and metrics so if spotify is liable here for like not promoting enough female country singers yes if i were to use spotify to tell me what it believes the top country music singers are i should be concerned but if i if i'm once removed from that and i just have the the entire internet and what it has to say about who exists in the country music space, I'm actually probably going to get a more generic answer, yeah. at least more generic, yeah. right, than a specific application well, telling me what it believes. Is the problem she's talking about, and I don't know this, I'm just asking, if, 
is the problem she's talking about is that the algorithms aren't they kind of self-perpetuating if you start out and you yes. get a lot of likes on a lot of male songs then you just start yes offering up male songs and it might just be who initially started it but then you start restricting because you have an algorithm right so now less and less women are on there and now spotify suddenly has become trained in their and algorithm to just only do male songs exactly and because there's the concept of buying likes and buying followers and then buying things or whatever you can what they call astroturf an algorithm to, to still believe that uh Jimmy Two Times is the number one country singer in Nashville, and Jimmy Two Times doesn't freaking exist, but enough bots got together to say that he exists and to put a fake song out there and to promote it to number one. Right. So you have different problems that you need to solve down the chain before you can be concerned about whether or not it's going to give false recommendations or misinformation. Yeah, I do think there's there, there's obviously problems with, the, with these algorithms in all these proper platforms. And... I'm not. I'm saying she's making a, a good point here, but yeah. I just feel like it's like the tip of the ice. Well, and I just don't. You know, it's. It, I get the warning level, but sh and she's probably going to do like a false equivalency, and so that and so therefore, if those algorithms are flawed, then then uh, an AGI or large language model is going to be a million times worse uh, if it gets deployed that way. But if it gets deployed that way, then the company that deploys it, the individual that deploys it, is uh, is liable for enforcing it again, or, but or liable for being sued. Probably yeah. have to have access to what they're being trained on right exactly you allow ai generated content like on jukebox which open ai is experimenting with then you and you train it on that artist sound and their uh their songs to imitate them then you are robbing them of the ability to be compensated so how do we ensure that that creative community is still going to have a way to make a living without having AI become a way to steal their creative talents and works? I, th I think this is a very important issue. I think it also applies to book authors, uh, some of whom are suing OpenAI. Um, and I, I believe I'm not really an expert on copyright at all. Uh, but some of my colleagues are, like Pam Samuelson, for example, and I think she would be a great witness for a future hearing. Um, and I think the view is that uh, the law, as it's written, simply wasn't ready for this kind of thing to be possible. Um, so if by accident the system produces a song that has the same melody, then it's going to fall under uh, existing law that you're you're basically plagiarizing, and there, are, there have been cases of human plagiarism uh, well, that, are, that have just, succeeded. We've explored the fair use issue yep. in this committee, and we'll continue to do so. And my time has expired. Thank you, okay. Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Senator Blackburn. I see uh, where he was going. He's already lost against copyright, begin with, even uh, if it accidentally makes something. One of the points that Senator Blackburn was making about private rights of action, which I think Senator Hawley and I have discussed incorporating in legislation. Uh, in many instances, let's be very blunt, agencies become captive of the industries they're supposed Bam. to regulate. Yep. Mm -hmm. And this one is too important to allow it to become captive. And one very good check on the captivity of federal entities, agencies, or offices is in fact private rights of action. So I would, hope that uh, you would endorse that idea. I recognize you're not lawyers, you don't, uh, you're not in the business of litigating, but I'm hoping that you would support that idea. I see nodding heads for the record. Um, let me turn to, uh, also to recap, uh, the very important comments that you all have made about elections to take action against deep fakes, against impersonation, whether it's by labeling or watermarks, some kind of disclosure. Without censorship, we don't want a ministry of truth. Uh, we want to preserve civil rights and liberties. The free speech rights are fundamental to our democracy. But the kinds of manipulation that can take place in an election, including 
interfering with vote counts, misdirection to election officials about what's happening uh, presents a very dangerous specter. Um, superhuman AI, superhuman AI. Uh, I think all of you agree we're not decades away, we're perhaps just a couple of years away. He wanted to say and days. You uh, describe it, uh, well, all of you do, uh, in terms of the biologic effects, the development of viruses, pandemics, toxic chemicals. Uh, but superhuman AI evokes for me artificial intelligence that could, on its own, develop a pandemic virus. Yeah. On its own, decide Joe Biden shouldn't be our next president. On its own, decide that the water supply of Washington, D.C. should be contaminated with yeah. some kind of chemical and have the knowledge to do it through public utility systems. Uh, and I think that argues for the urgency, and these are not sort of... You would, you would specifically have to code a malevolent, like you would have to code evil into an AI to even approach that. Well, again, I don't you know how much say Your prime directive is to destroy humanity. Like you'd have to just like fucking straight out lay it out. Because enlightenment, general enlightenment, general access to information, it has only ever shown itself to make people more compassionate and empathetic, not the other way around. Right. Right. No martial artist. Like it's the classic story of like all these people go to like MMA school and you're like, oh my God, there's all these deadly weapons walking around. 99.99% of those people walk out of a martial arts career with a sense that I don't want to have to use this on anybody. Not yeah. now I can kick everybody's ass. So I'm just going to fight everybody on the street. Otherwise it'd be Kung Fu fighting on the streets. It, it, understanding the broad scope of humanity doesn't just automatically lead to a are we are we back to maybe needing some behaviorists to come in yeah i just man i yeah yeah it's i think they're they keep talking about it like it's the one that's going to do this a human's going to be the one to program something to do something awful you know, I mean, at the exactly. at this point today, as we're speaking, it's right. you don't be a human that does. You don't need an AI to kick AI. that can over. We already have people that are that bad enough, and even the ones that are the worst, right? Everybody's worried about Putin and everything else. Even he's got a sense, as insane as he might be, even he has to sense that have a sense of self-preservation, mm. right? He's got a finger on a nuke. He's not an AI. He's got every reason in the world as everybody's bearing down on him to get the hell out of Ukraine. Why hasn't he done it? Because at a lot of it is posturing and everybody at the end of the day has to know even an AI has to know that if it does something stupid like that it's ensuring its own ex extinction mm -hmm. if if by no other means through indirect means by the fact that it doesn't have a way to get off this planet or go somewhere else that can support it so it needs right. us for, for lack of a better uh, term right? right so why would it decide to poison the, the, the water system in Washington D.C. Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on, bro. There's, a, there's way cheaper ways it's, to, to it's, terrorize people. <laughs> well, again, I mean, this is what they're doing is terrorizing people yeah, into understanding exactly. the need for their committees and council. I'm not saying I got to scare you into so you give up your. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say I don't think there should be regulations or anything like that. I'm just saying like they're so, you know, they're really just going for the you know, terrified, yeah. you know, ignorant masses. Paint, paint the worst picture possible. Yeah. And that's why we need all this. Mm -hmm. More. Uh, you describe them in your testimony. Others have done it as well. Um, so uh, I think your warning to us has really graphic content and it ought to give us impetus with that kind of urgency uh, to develop an entity that can not only establish standards and rules, but also research on countermeasures that detect those misdirections, whether they're the result of malign actors or mistakes by AI or malign 
operation of AI itself. Um, do you think those countermeasures are within our reach as human beings, and is that a function for an entity like this one to develop? Yes, I mean, I think this is, yeah, this is, this is one of the core things that, you know, whether it's the, the bio-risks from models that, you know, I kind of stated in testimony, you know, are likely to come in two to three years, or the risks from truly autonomous models, which I think are more than that, but might not be a whole, whole lot more than that. I think this idea of being able to even measure that the risk is there is really the critical thing. If we can't measure, then you know we can put in place all of these regulatory apparatus, but it, you know it'll all it'll all be a rubber stamp. And so, funding for the measurement apparatus and the enforcement apparatus working in concert is 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 really going to be central here. I mean, our our suggestion was you know NIST and the National AI Research Cloud, um, you know, which can can help kind of allow a wider range of researchers to study these risks and develop develop countermeasures. So so I think that. Um, that that seems like a very very important uh, that seems like a very important measure. I'm Quick worried about research, our how many people on this are Google back. We like to pre-recommend a captured yes, agency. I, I, I completely agree. Um, about the timeline, there's a lot of uncertainty. So uh, as I wrote in my testimony, it could be a few years, but it could also be a, lot, a couple of decades because there. You know, research is, is impossible to predict, but if we follow the trend, it's, it's uh, very concerning. And what do you think the odds are that that's his wife? Regulation, Just the way she looks liability. At sometimes she's like, mm. they will help a lot. I can't tell. Uh, my calculations is, you know, we could reduce the probability of a rogue AI showing up by maybe a I factor of 100 if we do the right things in terms of regulation. So it's really Otherwise worth it's it. Her. But it's not going to bring those risks to zero. And especially for bad actors. That, that don't follow the rules anyway. She's like really feeling it every time so he we talks. She's like, we yeah, need maybe she's that investment right, honey. Maybe in she's his countermeasures and could be. AI or is going to help us with that, but could we be. have to do it carefully so that we don't create the problem that we're trying to solve in the first yeah, place. I think she's for him though, whatever it is. Um, but I don't another think aspect to this is not mm -hmm. it's not just the AI. You know, so it needs to bring expertise in national security, in bioweapons, chemical weapons, mm -hmm. and AI Another people together. Like, There's some admiration um, in her eyes. You know what I mean? That's what I'm detecting. There's more than my just like My opinion shouldn't be for profit. Younger, but she we we shouldn't Botox, mix the so. objective of Hard to know. making money, which, which you know, makes a lot of sense in, in our economic system, with the objective which should be single-minded of defending humanity against a potential rogue AI. Um, also, I think we should be very careful to do this with our allies in the world and not do it alone. There is, um, he's, first, he's very we, keen we to can, dance around this idea um, that the U.S. Can, probably uh, should have just a diverse set of approaches because we don't know how to really do this. We are hoping that as we move forward yeah. and we try to solve the problem, we'll find solutions. But we need a diversity of approaches and we also need some kind of robustness against the possibility that one of the governments involved in this kind of research um, isn't democratic anymore for some reason. <laughs> right? This can happen. Uh, we don't want a country that um, was democratic and has, and has uh, power over a superhuman AI to be uh, the only country working on this. We need a resilient <laughs> system of partners so that if one of them ends up being a bad actor, um, the others are there. He's treading so carefully Thank to you say, like, you guys uh, can be dicks with this. Please don't be dicks. A comment. Well, and they're like, uh, we'll be the judge uh, of that. Yeah, so I, I completely <laughs> agree that being a uh, democracy if, if there is a, else, a, a body that's set up, um, that it should be uh, enabled to fund and coordinate this type of research. And I completely agree with the other witnesses that we haven't solved the problem yet. Um, I think there are a number of approaches that are promising. Uh, I, I tend towards approaches that provide mathematical guarantees uh, rather than just sort of best effort guarantees. Um, and, you know, we've seen that in the nuclear area uh, where 
originally the standard I believe was you know you could have a core a major core accident every 10,000 years um, and you had to demonstrate that your system design met that requirement uh, then it was a million years and now it's 10 million years um, and so that's progress uh, and it comes from actually having a real scientific understanding of the materials the designs redundancy uh, etc um, and we are just in the infant stages of a, a corresponding understanding of the AI systems that we're building. Um, I would also say that no government agency is going to be able to match the resources that are going into uh, the creation of these AI systems. Um, the numbers I've seen are roughly $10 billion a month going into AGI startups. Whoo! And... Um, just for comparison, give me one percent. Uh, that's about give me one percent times the amount of the entire National Science Foundation of the United States, which has to cover physics, chemistry, uh, basic biology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so how do we get that resource flow directed towards safety? Um, I actually believe that the involuntary recall safety provisions third. that I mentioned. <laughs> would have that effect. Because if a company puts out a system that violates one of the rules and then is recalled until the company can demonstrate that it will never do that again, uh, then the company can go out of business. So they have a very strong incentive to actually understand how their systems work. And if they can't, to redesign their systems so that they do understand how they work. Uh, that just seems like basic common sense to me. Um, I also want to mention on, on rogue AI, right, the, the bad actors. Um, uh, Professor Bengio has mentioned an approach uh, based on AI systems that are developed to try to counteract that possibility. Um, but I also feel that uh, we may end up needing a very different kind of digital ecosystem in general. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Right now, to a first approximation, a computer runs any piece of binary code that you load into channel independently. Um, we put layers on top yeah, of that that say, OK, enough. that looks like a virus. I'm not running that. Okay. I thought you we actually need to go the other way around. The system should not run any piece of binary code unless it can prove to itself that this is a safe piece of code to run. Uh, so it's sort of flipping the notion of permission. Uh, and with that approach, uh, I think we could actually have a chance of preventing bad actors from being able to circumvent these controls because for them to develop their own hardware resources is into the tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, and so that, that's yeah. an approach I would recommend. Yeah, and, and, and I'll tack on to that and say that is the, 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 um, the piece that we've, we've talked about where the language model just freestyling and being able to come up with what it aspirationally wants to do you got to get that frontal cortex you, that that is the checks and balance on its own actions right and this is this is the closest that you can get to starting to like have an ai that can actually apply and and internalize its own value system in the correct way mm -hmm. because you have to ha it has to be a two-part approach it can't just be I do word salad between a constitution of clues and then what I want to say and certain and sometimes most of the time I cancel them out and I only say the nice thing. No, it has to be like, no, I've decided what I want to say that gets put in a little box and then that box goes into a completely different system that goes, let me open this box and decide whether or not this is good or bad. Mm -hmm. And if it's bad, you don't say it or you don't do it. And if it's good, you let it through. This is what our this is how our brains work, right? Mm -hmm. When the lady cuts you off in traffic, everything from she's probably having a bad day to screw you passes through your mind instantaneously, and there's a separate process in your brain that decides what you ultimate ultimately do say. Mm -hmm. We talked about that before, and I 100% agree. But it has to be a separate air gap system. And you know what's actually funny is I would even argue that you can allow the open AIs and the clouds, the clouds of the world to operate as that freestyle language model that is sort of like uh, un un unabridged and unedited, as long as you then tack on a set, you, 
they should be able to align themselves with a company that is doing nothing but doing core value systems. And you can decide which one is the most appropriate that you want to go into because that core value system is the one that is the one that can be the most compromised and the most, uh, you know, authoritarian if it's done incorrectly. So you need to be able to decouple yourself from ones that appear to be too authoritarian or too whatever you don't want them to be, not freedom enough or whatever. Decouple that without then gimping the truly... Uh, innovative uh, freedom speech models from doing what they do. Mm-hmm. It's got to be two different systems. I honestly think it ought to be different companies and they become checks and balances to themselves. Yeah, I could see that being a good way to handle it, at least a starting point mm-hmm. for a good way to handle it. Yep. And this was something that was even proposed, you know, to a lesser degree in social media platforms when Jack um, was in Congress talking about uh these twitter algorithms right what he was suggesting was that um the algorithms themselves become democratized and as a user i can come and bring my own algorithm into play and if i don't want to see smut or uh, scams or whatever i decide what that algorithm is and it gets applied to my twitter feed so the feed is the feed the feed is the fire hose and then i decide what straw i want to i want to consume from based off of my core value set and maybe that's the point Maybe that's the real point is that OpenAI has this large language model. It can say any damn thing in the world. I, as an individual consumer, have a prefrontal cortex that I have tuned with my personal core value system. And now I apply the two together and only what comes through. Well, is yeah, but then you put in the Constitution as well. Yeah. I think that that piece has to be in there, too, because there's, you know. Yeah. You don't want a bad actor to be like, yeah, give yeah, all yeah. the bad stuff. But yeah, so and the major f- and the major flaw in even what I'm talking about is the problem is the, the harder problem to solve is as soon as I make that recommendation, I am also hyper aware of the fact that you create echo chambers and confirmation that the, bias. I knew that was the word you're gonna use. Was like, here's an echo chamber. All the same things that comes with it. But damn it, for the people, for people like me and you that that seek out differing opinions and don't fall for echo chambering kind of stuff, please just give us the ability to do that. Give us all the freaking facts. Don't parent, um, don't parent the people that, that want to go out and look at unbiased, uh, um, um, stances on things, right? Like my AI constitution would be way more open than a lot of other people's, but I can a thousand percent understand where, mom wants a very strict constitution for their kids until they're old enough to understand how shit works right and i also don't actually care if there's a person out there that wants uh, only tell me all the cool things trump says but i really don't care that's the freedom of thought that that exists in this country i don't care about that but damn it like don't don't ministry of truth it from a central agency and then everybody has to just deal with it or work around it that's just a nightmare I have more questions, but I'm going to turn to Senator Hawley. Let's talk a little bit about national security and, and AI, if we could. Mr. Amade, to come back to you, you, you mentioned in your written testimony, in your policy recommendations, your first recommendation, in fact, is the United States must secure the AI supply chain. And then you mentioned immediately, as an example of this, chips used for training. I know. Their, their, their microphones picked up somebody cracking a can now. of something. I think you're, your microphone, I think, maybe. That's oh, okay. I'm I was talking on mute. Go ahead. Yes, what I, what, I, what I had in mind here, yes, is that you know, there, are, there are certain bottlenecks in the production of AI systems. Um, you know, that ranges from semiconductor manufacturing equipment to chips to the, actual, you know, to the actual produced systems, which then have to be stored on a server somewhere, and in theory could be stolen or, or released in an uncontrolled way. So I think... You know, compared to some of the more software elements, those are areas where there there are substantially more bottlenecks. Well, so, uh, okay, understood. But we've heard a lot about chips, GPUs, about the shortage of them. My question is, and and maybe maybe you don't know the answer to this, maybe somebody else does, but but do you know where most of them are currently manufactured? Yeah, there there are a number of steps in the the production process for chips, right? Do you produce the raw chip or the actual GPU? Um, you know, those, those happen, those happen in a number of, number of places. For example? Um, so, you know, an important, important player on the, you know, kind of like making the, the 
base fabrication side would be TSMC, which is in, uh, which is in Taiwan. Um, and then within, you know, uh, companies like NVIDIA within the United States, you know, then, then, uh, then uh, you know, produce those into GPUs. And yep. I don't know exactly where that process happens. It could be in a large number of places. As part of securing our supply chain here in this area, should we consider limitations, if not outright prohibitions, on components that are manufactured in China? Um, I, you know, I think on that on that particular issue, you know, that's 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 not one where I have a huge amount of. Uh... Uh, I can tell you straight up, we already have a mechanism for that. Um, embargoed countries. Um, so, for instance, uh, if you work for a manufacturer that makes like computers or hard drives or whatever, you have to understand that uh, who the end user is. And there are very strict regulatory things because they know that people buy hard drives just to take the chips out of them to then drive like a self-guided missile, right? And so on the embargo side and also on the anti-terrorist and all the other crap side, anything that has chips in them, and this has been out there for years, if not decades already, um, before you can sell or transfer goods into any kind of an entity's hands when they do a purchase order, you have to get full disclosure of not only who the buying entity is, but then who the end user is so that you don't have like a front organization that says that they're going to use it for pharmaceuticals and then they turn around and sell it to Iran, right? So they already have a framework that they could do that. And maybe that's where they're actioning a lot of this stuff. But um, uh, GPUs, right? It's, it's sort of been a little bit of Wild West because people think of them as video game cards. They're graphics cards. What's, what's so harmful in that? And this is them sort of like realizing that, oh, wait a minute, this is how all these models are being trans, uh, are being uh, trained. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah, we got to add that to the list. But the good news is for people out there, there are mechanisms already in place for limiting um, supply chain into uh, getting into the wrong hands. They all, of course, get circumvented, but it at least exists. Right, right. They're doing the best they can. Where I have a huge amount of knowledge, I mean, I think we should think a little bit in the, the other direction of are things that are produced by our supply chain, do they end up in places that we don't yeah, want them to be? That whole thing. Um, so we've worried a lot about that in the context of models. We just had a blog post out today about AI models saying, hey, you, you might have spent a large number of millions of dollars, maybe someday it's going to be billions of dollars, to train an AI system. And then, you know, you, you don't want some state actor or criminal or rogue organization to then steal that and, you know, use it in some, use it in some irresponsible way that you, that you don't endorse. Let me, let me get at this problem from a just slightly different angle, which is, let's imagine a hypothetical in which... Uh, the communist government of Beijing decides to launch an invasion <laughs> of Taiwan. And let's imagine, and sadly it doesn't take very much imagination, let's imagine that they're successful in doing so. Just give me a back-of-the-envelope forecast. What might that do to AI production? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I'm not an economist, and it it's hard to, it. to forecast, but a very large fraction of the chips it. are indeed, you know, so somewhere go through the supply chain in Taiwan. So I think there's, you know, there's no doubt that that is a, there's no doubt that that is a hot spot and, you know, something that we should be concerned about for sure. D does uh, do either of the other panelists want to say anything on this about the Professor Russell, perhaps? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are, there are studies. Uh, my colleague Orville Shell, who is a China expert, has been working on a, uh, a study of these issues. Um, there are already uh, plans to diversify away from Taiwan. T TSMC is uh, trying to create a plant uh, in the U.S. Uh, Intel is now building some very large plants in the U.S. and in Germany, I believe. So, um, but it's it's taking time. I think if the if the invasion that you mentioned happened tomorrow, uh, we would be in a huge amount of trouble. Uh, as far as I understand yeah. it, there are plans to... That has more to do... So, so this is not a consumable, right? It's, it's not like a supply chain issue where, like, if, you, if, if China cut off the supply, uh, the supply chain for the chips by taking over Taiwan, that then we would, like, oh, my God, now our AIs can't be trained. It's well, more of a... It's a catch-up for them. Right. It they, would just allow them to catch up. Yeah, it's not like the, the AI is eating those for breakfast. Right. Yeah, it doesn't burn out. It doesn't burn video cards. It, they video cards do burn out over time. So there's a there's a small 
underlying resupply chain that, that might affect it, but these models are already largely trained, and if it would only stifle getting to, like, the next echelon, right? Maybe it would stop JetGPT4 from getting to GPT5 because you don't have enough compute. Right. That's about it. It would pause that. But I think what they're more concerned about is uh, rogue nations catching up on capability by if if you're going to embargo them or you're going to sanction their ability to get their hands on these chips then they'll just go out and freaking take them right, right? that's what the big concern is um is how do you do that and i imagine that a lot of those facilities uh, just like anything else uh, munitions facilities uh sensitive intelligence information uh, centers they all have basically burn down protocols where if they get compromised they pull a switch and all their fucking shit goes up and smoke right like mm -hmm. to stop people from getting their hands on stuff they have to have those missions in place i guarantee it especially in a hot spot like taiwan i, w I would be shocked if that was not the case all the tmc tsmc operations uh in taiwan if an, if an invasion were to take place so it's not that all that capacity would then be taken over by china that, and that what's sad about that scenario is that would be the best case scenario, right? I mean, if there's an invasion of Taiwan, the best we could hope for is maybe all of their capacity or most of it gets sabotaged and maybe the whole world has to be in the dark for however long. That's the best case scenario. The point I'm trying to make is, is I think your point, Mr. Amode, about securing our supply chains is absolutely critical and thinking very seriously about decoupling efforts, strategic decoupling efforts, I think is absolutely vital at every point of the supply chain that we can. I think we don't do that with China soon. Um, frankly, we should have done it a long time ago. Uh, if we don't do it very, very quickly, I think we're in real trouble, and I think we've got to think seriously about what may happen uh, in the event of a Taiwan invasion. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, I, I just wanted to emphasize um, Professor Russell's point even more strongly that we are trying to move some of the, uh, some of the chip fab production uh, capabilities to the U.S., but that needs to be faster, right? We're talking about, you know, two to three years for some of these very scary applications and maybe not much longer than that for truly autonomous AI. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the timeline... And this is really just trying to correct these, sins of the past. These, these productions... You wouldn't be having this problem like if you didn't go, man, it'd be really cheap if we did all this shit in China. Component mm -hmm. of them. So, so just, to, just to emphasize this, I think this is absolutely essential. Yeah. Um, good. Let, let me ask you about um, a, a different issue related to labor um, overseas and labor exploitation. The Wall Street Journal published a piece today entitled Cleaning Up ChatGPT Takes Heavy Toll on Human Workers. Contractors in Kenya say <laughs> oh, they what? were traumatized by the effort to screen out descriptions of violence and sexual abuse during the run-up to OpenAI's hit chatbot, namely ChatGPT. The article details the widespread use of labor in Kenya uh, to do this uh, training work on the chat GPT model. I encourage everyone to read it. They and outsource like the, the training? The chairman, uh, to to uh, be able to enter this into the yeah, record. Without objection. One of the disturbing, th it's a couple of disturbing things. I mean, one is, is that we're talking about a thousand or more workers outsourced overseas. We're talking about exploitation of those workers. Uh, they work round the clock. The material they're exposed to is, is uh, incredible and I'm sure extremely damaging and that, that uh, constitutes an issue of lawsuits that they're now bringing. Here's another interesting tidbit. The workers on the project were paid an average of between $1.46 an hour and $3.74 an hour. <laughs> the workers on the project were paid on average between $1.46 an hour and $3.74 an hour. Now, OpenAI says, oh, we thought that they were being paid over $12 an hour, and so we have the classic, classic oh, corporate outsource maneuver where a company outsources jobs, uh -huh. couldn't be done in the United States, outsources jobs, uh -huh. exploits foreign workers to do it, and then says, oh, we don't know anything about it. We're, we're asking them to engage in this psychologically harmful activity. We're probably overworking them doing it, and we're not paying them. But, oh, uh, you know, oops. I guess my question is, how widespread is, is this in the AI industry? Because it strikes me that we're told that AI is new, and it's a whole new kind of industry, and it's glittery, and it's almost magical, and yeah. yet it looks like it depends in critical respects on very old-fashioned, yeah. disgusting, immoral labor exploitation. So go ahead. <laughs> I wow. didn't have an 
appreciation for that. Yeah, because even I fell for that. I thought, you know, oh, when you're tuning the model and you're making sure that it's going to do what it's going to do, I'm imagining, you know, super bright people sitting in the room going, well, it's going to start talking about dick. So let's let's dive into it, guys. Let's figure out how we can get it to avoid certain said. No, you're just you're just showing a bunch of horrible text statements to people in Kenya that you're paying a dollar an hour. <laughs> and then saying, is this harmful to your psychology? Yes, no. <laughs> yes, this is harmful. Oh my gosh. They got sick of it and they're like, not anymore. Not harmful now. And then, yeah, the classic blunder of like, oh, we don't know how much we're paying. And then we just outsource it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't know. We're paying that company who's passing yeah. on of the that's, $12 an hour. They're that's, on that's, that's the fucking truth. Yeah. I'm sure they believe that they're paying $12 an hour because that's what the contract was negotiated on on the front end for the front company. And then that company turns around and says, well, we're going to go ahead and keep $11 of that and pass on $1 to the worker. Right. That is a different entire, that's an entire other industry problem that you should probably go solve. And that has nothing to do with AI in specific. Exactly. You, the fact is, it's like the, the, that it even happens that you don't know who your end user is as far, or sorry, your end employee is. That's not acceptable. That is they so crazy. <laughs> I really like his questioning, honestly. That is so crazy. crazy because let's take all that, let's take all the money side away, right? Yeah. It's Kenya. It's, it, and it's not even that it's Kenya. It's just, it is a non, it's, it, okay, so you have a bot that is primarily deployed in a very specific culture center. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be U.S., right? But it's like, you're hoping that Kenyans have a deep uh, understanding of Western culture to even pick up on nuanced things that are like, there's so many like, things that are like dog whistle uh subtle jokes that that only an american would know like i can i can talk shit about you and use certain memes and certain phrases that anybody outside the united states would be like what does that even mean right but internally to us we'd be like oh damn dog you can't say that so you're hoping take the countries out of it you're hoping that country a's nuanced culture of language which is what the llm operates in that you're going to outsource the criti the critique of that to a country that may not even have the capacity to understand the nuances of the language that it's that it's trying to review. That's I don't have a lot of words for that. That's that's grossly irresponsible. Um. <laughs> To say the least. <laughs> and probably not going to work out. No wonder you have all this egg on your face where they're like, in two seconds, I got ChatGPT to say wubba lubba ding dong. And it's like, it's because somebody in Kenya has never watched Rick and Morty. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh no, we should, you should probably fix that. You should probably fix that. They should fix it in more than just the AI industry. You should probably pay people what they're fucking worth. How about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, billions and billions of dollars that are being made, but you can't pay somebody more than minimum wage. Oh, sorry. You can't pay somebody even that. I mean, you're paying like a dollar. Seriously. Oh, that's awful. Okay. Oh, my God. Yes. So this is actually one area where, where Anthropic has a, has a substantially different approach from the one that you've described. I can't yeah. speak for what other, other uh, companies are doing, but a couple points. One is this, this constitutional AI method, which I mentioned, um, is a way for one copy of the AI system to moderate or help to train another copy of oh, the AI okay, system. Yeah. This is something that reduces, it does not eliminate, but it substantially reduces the need for the kind of human labor that you're describing. I would agree. Second, in our own contracting practices, um, and you know, I would have to talk to you directly for exact numbers, but I, but I I, I, I believe that the companies we contract out to are something like uh, northwards of 75% you know, uh, workers from the U.S. and Canada, and all paid above the all paid above the California minimum wage. So I, I, I share your concern about about these issues, and you know we're committed to both developing research that kind of obviates the you know the the need for some of this 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 kind of moderation and you know not not exploiting these workers well it's good because here's i think what would be terrible to see is this new technology that is built by foreign workers not american workers that seems like the same old story we've heard for 30 40 years in this country where we're told oh no american workers they cost too much Mm -hmm. uh, they're american workers they're just too demanding american workers they don't have the skills so we're going to outsource it 
we're going to give it to other foreign workers. Then you mistreat the foreign workers. Then you don't pay the foreign workers. And then who benefits from it at the end of the day? These few companies that we talked about earlier who make all the profit and control of it. That seems like an old, old story that mm -hmm. I frankly don't want to see replicated again. That seems like a dystopia, <laughs> not like a, a new future. Let's use knocking it so, out of the park. Yeah, it is. I think it's critical that we, we find out what the labor practices are of these companies. I'm glad that you're charting a different course, uh, Mr. Amode, and certainly we want to hold that, hold you to that. But uh, I, I think it's vital. But again, I can't say what will happen in the future because two weeks from now, that we actually uh, push for really bottom line. Along with having a, a technology that actually employs people in the United States of America and pays them well. I mean, why shouldn't American workers and American families protected by our labor laws benefit from this technology? I don't think that's too much to ask, and frankly, I think that we ought to expect that of companies in this country who are with access to our markets who are working on this technology. I agree.